Welcome to the Faith and More podcast. This is a trans-denominational podcast. All are welcome and safe here, no matter what your faith is or isn't. My name is Reverend Angel Wise, and I'll be your host. I am an ordained licensed minister with the Fellowship of Celtic Catholic Churches International, founder and director of the Oblix Perpetual Light, a life coach, intuitive healer, and Kabbalist. I firmly believe this divine works through people every day to help us. These angels and saints are so very humble, many of us don't know they exist or existed. Each week we'll explore the lives of these amazing beings. We will also explore topics that can help your faith, no matter what it is or isn't. The goal of this show is to inspire, encourage, educate, uplift, strengthen, and heal you and your faith, no matter what it is or isn't. So be sure to follow and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Enjoy the show. Hello, 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 and welcome to the show. <laughs> How is everyone doing? I so hope and pray you all are well and blessed. If you're new to the show, thank you so much for finding us. It is my deepest hope and sincerest prayer that you find everything you're looking for in a podcast, especially a faith-based podcast here and more. And if you're returning, infinite thanks, blessings, and love for being a long-time supporter, listener, and lover of the show. It is because of you that this show is here. So last week we had an amazing episode recommended to us by Sister Haven. And guess what? She does not stop. We've got another one this week. And this one, I, I, I couldn't help but say yes to this one because you all know or should know by now my... Um, love for St. Padre Pio. And the person we're going to be speaking about today or learning about today um, was a very close person to St. Padre Pio. So show of hands, who has heard of Christina Montello or Sister Rita of the Holy Spirit? Yeah. <laughs> That's what I thought. Hey, it was me too up until this point, really. Um, I had heard a little bit of her story years ago. And also when I was doing the Pope John Paul II uh, show, I had heard a little bit about her, but nothing to this extent. And her, well, I'm just going to have to play the disclaimer. Warning, 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 the following, the following could be considered And yeah, if I could add an air siren to that as well, definitely. Because, I mean, yeah, you'd think we would be kind of used to the fantastical by now of all the people that we've covered over the seasons. Um, you know, and, and just recently with Mother Irene, but this... Uh, uh, all I can say is get a coffee or a tea, sit down, grab your favorite blankie, and just kick back and relax and just open your heart and be ready to be just blown away. So the article I'm going to be reading from, I will apologize in advance because there may be some broken English in it because uh, it has been translated a few different ways a few different times. Uh, but anyway, the whole vegan meat and potatoes of it is still there. The heart of it's still there. And, and it's just an amazing story. And it's called Christina Montello, Sister Rita of the Holy Spirit, the little girl 
of Padre Pio. And this article is by Christina Sicardi, S-I-C-C-A-R-D-I, uh, back in 2003. And I will definitely have a link to this in the uh, show notes. So it begins, Christina Montella was born in Circola in Naples on April 3rd, 1920. Great month. Once when she was just two years old, while at her aunt's house, where there was a picture of St. Gerard Magella, a redemptress saint, she saw the picture come to life, and she ran away scared. Several days later, she took courage and came to see the picture again. This time, St. Gerard extended his arms towards her, embraced her, and told her, Christina, you will become a nun. During her childhood, she continued experiencing mystical phenomena, like frequent interaction with the child Jesus, the Virgin Mary, and her guardian angel. Her heavenly friends told her not to say anything about it. She was also very penitential. She would sleep on the floor with a rock as a pillow. Her father took her out of school when she was in the fifth grade because of the fascist government, whose ideology her father was against. After this, she remained home and became active in parish work, teaching catechism to girls. Okay, so <laughs> those of you who are even not even longtime listeners, those of you who are just listeners of the show with the Mother Irene uh, trilogy, know that here we go. Here's a two-year-old girl that's, you know, got saints coming out of paintings, <laughs> giving her hugs and, you know, telling her she's going to be a nun and she's being visited by baby Jesus. And I wonder if he had his tuxedo shirt on. That would be cool. Uh, Virgin Mary, uh, guardi her guardian angel. I mean, just, and then she's doing penance by sleeping on the floor with a rock as a pillow. And yeah, that was a thing back then. There were a couple of saints that did that. And, um, most of them, though, were Orthodox, um, Eastern Orthodox Catholics. Uh, but anyway, so, you know, something was going on with school and fascist governments and, you know, changing things. And does that sound familiar to anybody with how things are today in schools? Um, and then, you know, she just stayed home. Her dad kept her out of school and she stayed home and, and taught at the local church uh, catechism to girls. And for those of you who aren't Roman Catholic, Catechism is just uh, the study of the Roman Catholic faith, teaching people what they need to know about the Roman Catholic faith uh, so they can be better Catholics. So at the age of 14, she met Padre Pio for the first time the night between the 25th and the 26th of August, 1934. Padre Pio appeared to her while she was praying. She had never seen him before. So he introduced himself saying, Christina, I am Padre Pio. And I'd be like, Padre Pio, please excuse me. I have to change my pants. <laughs> and started, he started calling her Bambina, which means little girl. Not because of her age, but rather because of her innocence. This is what Father Franco D. Anastasio, a passionist priest, who has dedicated 30 years to gathering information about Sister Rita Wrights. On September 14, 1935, almost a year after the first apparition of Padre Pio, around 2 a.m., the 15-year-old was praying, as usual, in her bed. Suddenly, heaven opened up to her. She saw in the forefront 
Jesus alive on the cross with rays coming out of his wounds. Near him were the Virgin Mary, St. Joseph, and Padre Pio. Sister Rita herself, remembering this in 1976, says that it was then that she received the stigmata. She recalls that Jesus asked her if she wanted to feel the pain of his wounds, and she said yes. At that moment, the rays of light from the wounds of Jesus penetrated her hands, feet, and side, and the wounds started to bleed. The following day, she went to the shrine of the Madonna del Arco to seek advice from a priest. She found a young, recently ordained, passionist priest named Padre Paolo Goida, whom she told what had happened. He told her to go pray in front of the statue of the Virgin Mary and ask for the grace that Jesus may take away the stigmata. Sister Rita did as she was told. To astonishment of Padre Pio and Christina herself, her prayer was immediately answered and the stigmata disappeared. However, the pain and the wound in her side remained until the end of her life. In one of her mystical encounters with Padre Pio, he told her, Lucky you, little girl, who has them hidden? And he kissed her hands, and she kissed his. So as it explains, uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with stigmata, it's the wounds of Jesus appearing on people, um, and not just appearing, but the, also the pain and bleeding that goes with it. So, um, you know, this happened to Christina, but she, by you know, doing what the priest told her to do, asked the Virgin Mary, the Theotokos, to have them removed, and all but the one in her side was removed. Um, and what Padre Pio meant by lucky you, that yours aren't, yours is invisible, is that his stigmata was always visible. Those of you who haven't uh, listened to the um, St. Padre Pio podcast episode we did, please check it out. It is such a great episode. I believe it's season three, episode nine. And uh, yeah, so Padre Pio was, was always showing. It's why he wore gloves all the time. And they were constantly bleeding, constantly in pain. Um, but she was in pain, too, from the wound in her side. Since that September 14th, 1935, she kept the holy hour, which she called the holy hour for priests. During this time, she relived the passion of the Lord in her body for three hours every night. But she did not suffer alone. Padre Pio joined her mystically every night. Isn't that something? He didn't let her go through this alone. You know, since he was very familiar with um, with the stigmata and the pain and all that that comes with it and the suffering and how to handle that suffering, he was there with her. And you're like, how? How? What? You know, did they live close together? No. This is Padre Pio bilocating to her, and this is something um, the great saints are known to do: is to be in multiple places at one time uh, in their form. At this time, she greatly desired to enter the cloister, but her father was against it. Then on January 10th, 1940, her father, Luigi Montello, suffered a stroke and died, calling on Our Lady of Mount Carmel. Christina later said that the Lord called my father to himself because he opposed my vocation to enter the cloister. She also revealed, in the days following his death, I prayed intensely for his soul on the seventh day, Jesus granted me the grace of freeing him from purgatory. He embraced me and kissed me and then went with Jesus to heaven. 
Now that's left up to others to interpret and believe if you want to believe it is that she's saying that her father's decision to prevent her from becoming a nun was the cause of his death or the root of his death. But, you know, honestly, I mean, for me personally, I, I don't feel that. I mean, if, if the man had a stroke, then obviously he had uh, some kind of clots or blockage or something to that nature. Now, because I, I don't believe the divine kills people or takes people. You know, I firmly believe that souls depart, um, as I recently just talked about at the uh, during the Faith and More Cafe, is that I firmly believe that souls leave the body when they're when they feel that they've accomplished when the soul believes it's accomplished its task um, or tasks. And I believe that's what happened here is that, you know, her father, you know, passed because it was time for him to pass. Um, and it doesn't have to mean that our body's ready. It's our soul is ready. That's why people die at various ages and different stages in their life. And it's why it's so hard for us to wrap our minds around it in our hearts, because we just can't believe how a four-year-old child gets cancer and dies. Well, that little soul um, came to do what it needed to do, and it accomplished that. And I know that to a lot of people, that is very, very hard to stomach. Um, but again, that's just my personal feelings. And as far as purgatory goes, for those of you who aren't Roman Catholic, it's 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 something the Roman Catholics believe exists. It's a, a between state between here and heaven. And that's where you work off your uh, your last sins or things that you didn't learn. Um, there's a lot of um, debate about purgatory, but I'm not going to get into that. It's completely up to you if you want to study more on it, if you believe it or you don't believe it. Um, that's completely up to you and you're right. But, you know, she firmly believed that her father was in purgatory and um, through her prayer, seven days of prayer, um, Jesus, you know, went and plucked him out of purgatory and took him to heaven. So on August the 10th, 1940, she entered the cloister of the Augustinian nuns in Santa Croce Sol Arnos in Pisa, Italy, where she remained for 51 years until her death on November 26th, 1992. So this is old timers out there that are my age or older. That's within our lifetime. She performed different jobs during the time, including cook, nurse, sacristan, seamstress, and accountant. At the beginning, Christina would pray the holy hour every night around 11 o'clock in the chapel behind the sacristy in order to be near the blessed sacrament. Here, Padre Pio would meet her, and they would pray together with two couples of angels who would hold their arms up. After two or three months of doing this, she decided to hold the holy hour in her room because it was more private. I get it, because, I mean, if I'm hanging out with Padre Pio and a couple angels, yeah, I, you know, I don't want people to be seeing that. I want to take it to my room and just have it private. <laughs> Christina had many extraordinary gifts, you, you think, <laughs> such as visibly seeing her guardian angel, the gift of prophecy, reading of hearts, and by location. She also had the rare gift of accompanying souls into paradise the souls of those on whose behalf she had suffered the pains of purgatory. During the last years of her life, she nourished herself exclusively on the Eucharist, which often she received directly from the side wound of Jesus. 
Okay, so folks, I'm going to do something I, I do on occasion is I want you to hold something in your mind and your heart as we go. Her being able to, Christina being able to bilocate. Keep that, hold that thought. She often went in bilocation together with Padre Pio to Budapest to comfort Cardinal Mines Zenti in jail and to visit other victims of the Soviet government. Both Sister Cherubina Fascia and Father Franco di Anastasio, a passionist priest who has collected much of the information about the life of Sister Rita in an unpublished manuscript, can attest to this fact. The following is from a conversation Father Franco had with Sister Rita. Is it true that you were present when they condemned the cardinal? What did you say? I was there, and I said that by doing that, they were going to go to hell. One of them told me that he did not care about hell. Were you dressed as a nun? No, I was dressed as a lady from the city. Did Padre Pio used to go with you to visit the cardinal? Yes, often. Where did you get the sacred vessels for the celebration of the Mass? From the sacristy of my monastery. What language was spoken? Different languages. That was not a problem. Did you used to take other things to the cardinal? Sometimes I would take him a coffee. What if I asked the cardinal personally to confirm these instances of bilocation? He would not say anything because he has to keep it a secret. But... There is even more to this. Sister Cherubina Fascia, who was a spiritual daughter of Padre Pio, a devoted friend to Sister Rita, and a disciple of Father Teofila Dal Pazzo, who was later, later excuse me, on the spiritual director uh, of Sister Rita, was told the following by the abbess of the convent of Sister Rita. Abbess Matilda said, One day, Sister Rita came to my room and told me that Padre Pio had asked her to accompany him to visit Cardinal Menzinti in jail to take him what he needed to celebrate Mass. I answered that perhaps she wanted my permission. I also asked her when she had to go, and she quickly answered, Tomorrow night. I in turn said to her, Take everything you need and bring it to my room beforehand. When the time comes for you to leave, you will come to my room for the things and then you can go. She did as she was told. In my room, which I had locked, I waited while praying. My heart was beating very fast. At a certain point, I heard a knock, and I said, come in. Despite the fact that the door was locked, she entered, took everything she needed from the table, and started to leave. While she was leaving, I tried to follow her, since the door to my room was now open. At a certain moment, she disappeared in front of my very eyes. Then I went quickly to her room to check if her body was there, and she was lying in bed. Then I returned to my room to find the door locked. I had to use my key to enter, and I locked it once more. I continued to pray, waiting for Sister Rita to return. After a while, she came back in exactly the same way. She knocked, entered through the locked door, returned everything to the table, and said, Good night. Ooh, man, that just gives you the spirit bumps. That's a, <laughs> this stuff is so cool. It really is. Father Teofila, 
her spiritual director in order to verify that she was really visiting Cardinal Menzinti in jail, asked her to ask the Cardinal to give her a postcard or prayer card to be sent to the Pope. A short time later, when he saw Sister Rita again, she handed him a card with a picture of the Virgin Mary and baby Jesus with a message written in Latin for Pope Pius the 12th, thanking him and asking for his blessing, signed by Cardinal Menzinti and dated May 26, 1949. From the beginning of her novitiate at Santa Croce, Sol Arno, Sister Rita had problems. She was very good in the kitchen, in the laundry room, as a nurse, and as a tailor. Because of her superior intelligence, the abbess wanted to make her choir nun, a higher rank than the lay sisters. Some of the nuns were jealous and opposed this decision, so the abbess decided to transfer Sister Rita to the monastery of Radicondoli in Siena. After a short stay there, Sister Rita returned to Santa Croce because she felt this was the monastery where Jesus wanted her to be. She was readmitted and started her second novitiate here again. Soon afterwards, however, she became very ill at the age of 21. She had bone tuberculosis. Whew, that sounds painful. This impeded her from doing hard labor and, be near the, uh, and to be near to the other novices. In October of 1941, a priest named Giatini came to the monastery and told Sister Rita that if she wanted to take the habit, she would have to ask Jesus to heal her. She obeyed and was healed immediately. She was able to make her temporary vows at 9 a.m. on April 27, 1942. Ah, April again. 27, good numbers. When she was vested with the Augustinian habit and received the religious name Rita. Later on that same day, she experienced the mystical espousal following his another interview that Father D. Anastasio conducted in the 60s with Sister Rita about this event. When did the mystical espousal with Jesus take place? It began at 2 a.m. April 27th, which was the day of my investiture. Before that occasion, had you done the holy hour with Padre Pio? Yes, he even came that night. Who was present from heaven? The same ones I have told you before. Are they Virgin Mary, St. Joseph, Padre Pio, St. Augustine, St. Christina, St. Clare, Augustini, excuse me, Augustinian, St. Catherine of Siena, St. Gabriel of Sorrows, and St. Gemma Galgani? Yes, yes. And those of you who know St. Uh, Gemma Galgani, we did a show on her as well. So check that out. Amazing, amazing person. Did you get a wedding ring? Yes, Jesus put it on me and I on him. Did they, the saints, congratulate you? They gave me a simple hug and extended their wishes for holiness. It seems to me that this is about being crucified, a crucified spouse. Yes, of course. Otherwise, it would not make sense. While the espousal was taking place, Jesus showed Sister her future spiritual director, Father Teofilio Dal Pazzo, a capuchin. He became her spiritual director five years later. Sister Rita made her final profession on May 23, 1946.
So those younger listeners out there, um, what it means by espousal is when a nun takes her profession and takes her vows, she is actually being married to Jesus. So she becomes the spouse uh, of the wife of Jesus, thus the, the word espousal that they use. During World War II, Sister Rita often visited soldiers in danger together with Padre Pio. Their visits were in flight by, by location. One of those assisted was Alfonso Montello, Sister Rita's brother, who was a prisoner in Greece. She told Father D'Anastasio, Alfonso was taken prisoner by the Greeks during an Allied bombing that took place in March 1943. He was hit in the head. We, Padre Pio and me, saw pieces of his brain scattered all over. When Padre Pio D'Anastasio asked her, when, excuse me, Padre D'Estanisio asked her if she had accompanied her brother to heaven as she did her father. She answered, yes, the Lord received him in paradise the same day he died. She said that she went together with Padre Pio many times to help soldiers in danger and to take humanitarian aid. One time, she says, we went to a concentration camp in Germany to free an Italian soldier. The guards thought we were spies and shot at us, but the shots did not do anything to us. Say what? <laughs> Sorry, folks. I had to. I had to put that in there. I mean, because <laughs> this is just so, so fantastical and amazing and just, yeah, literally say what? <laughs> so inside the monastery, Sister Rita suffered from the persecution of some of the sisters that disliked her. Imagine that. Wasn't it? We've, we've talked about this, especially here lately in, you know, last week's show and the, um, the cafe. We talked about it as well. It's just unfortunately something that is, uh, you know, I would love to say that it's no more, but it still exists in some convents and monasteries. They humiliated her and called her strange and a hypocrite. She tried to keep her supernatural life hidden. The former abbess wrote to the convent of Radhi Kandoli about the situation with Sister Rita, telling them that here between you and I, we have a saint among us, and those who dislike her do because she is a reproach to them. About two of the sisters that mistreated her, Sister Rita said, Sister Giuseppe, Giuseppe and Sister Christina were good. Unfortunately, without realizing it, they were used as instruments of the adversary, referring to Satan or the darkness. Everything that happened remained within the walls of the monastery. However, Jesus told her, everyone wants to be seen in order to be praised. My little ball instead is always hidden. This is why I want everyone to come to know you. The one I will entrust you to, Father Teofilo Dal Pazzo, will be the first one to make you known. Father Teofilo who would be her spiritual director from 1947 to 1962, believed that St. Sister Rita's gifts of counsel, prophecy, and prayer could help many people and wanted her to meet other religious and lay people. However, in the 60s, after he died, her supernatural gifts were kept hidden. So, yeah, I almost slipped up and called her saint, and those of you may be scratching your head saying, wow, we're not even halfway through her story, and why isn't she a saint? Well, 
we'll get to that as we go. But it is a shame that after her spiritual director passed in 1962, that the rest of the years up to what, 1992 is when she went into repose, when she passed, um, what, 30? Yeah. yeah, 30 years, exactly 30 years after he passed, she passed. So for 30 years, everything she just kept hidden. And isn't that, you know, so much like uh, the story we heard last week? You know, again, um, it's a shame that these great holy saints and people are so afraid to share their gifts, you know, and that goes for everybody. I mean, even especially those who are of different faiths that aren't accepted, you know, those of nature faiths, those of the Muslim faith, um, uh, those of Eastern faiths, you know, they're so looked down upon, ridiculed, made fun of, hated, killed, persecuted. Um, it's a shame that they can't be who they are while the rest of us can just go around with our crucifix necklace and just like it's no big deal and flaunting. Literally, a lot of people do flaunt their faith, you know, and that's, that's very anti-faith. Um, it's just, it's just very sad. Jesus told sister Rita too late. Will they realize the treasure they have had among them? They will realize only when there is no more time left. Father Tiafolo was very impressed with sister Rita's spiritual experiences, especially her connection with Padre Pio with whom she relived the passion of Christ and went and by location on missions all over the world. Thus, he ordered her to write everything down in a diary. So in the 15 years as her spiritual director, he read 105 autobiographical notebooks written by Sister Rita. These notebooks were also read by the abbess Matilde Gazzarini and a few other trustworthy nuns in the convent. These notebooks are still kept at the monastery of Santa Cruz, but are not accessible. I witness Sister Maria Grazia Ghenti, excuse me, wrote, the guardian angel would dictate to her, sitting down, she would stare at him, not looking at all on the notebook where she was writing very quickly with her pen. When she finished writing, she would not even reread it. And those of you who um, are of nature faiths or other faiths already know that what she was doing was automatic writing. It's when um, the spirit or whatever takes over you and, and writes for you. Um, you know, Neil Donald Walsh did something similar to that when he was uh, had the questions with God. And, you know, I've been talking so much about that uh, book series, Conversations with God, lately. And again, I firmly believe everybody should have at least the first three um, volumes of that book and, and really take time, read it, study it, digest it. It, it's, it will change you. Father Teofilo was convinced of the authenticity of her gifts and wanted to have her examined by others. Padre Pio had already given him a positive opinion of Sister Rita when he spoke to him. He also managed to have Father Giovanni di Baggio examine her. 
Father Giovanni put her to the test because he wanted to know if it was true that she met Padre Pio daily in her cell number four. In 1949, Father Giovanni simply asked Sister Rita to give Padre Pio a book that was signed by him. A few months later, Father Giovanni went to San Giovanni Rotundo to visit Padre Pio. He had forgotten about the book, but when he was about to leave, Padre Pio, with his characteristic sense of humor, told him, Reverend Father, this book is yours, but you should not make jokes like these. <laughs> yes, that's awesome. In the fall of 1949, they started medical and psychiatric evaluations of Sister Rita that would last seven months. The medical exams could not explain the reasons for her conditions, such as migraines, vomiting, and insomnia. Psychiatric evaluation also found her to be normal. There's no medical report on the stigmata because except for the wound on her side, they were hidden and the wound on the side disappeared when she was being examined. Sister Rita had the mystical gift of inidia or mystical anorexia in which she was nourished exclusively on the Eucharist. She could not hold food in her stomach. In the 70s, she was ordered to take some food every day, and she obeyed, which represented a great suffering because it would make her sick and she had to throw up. Her guardian angel would wipe her tears and tell her, poor daughter, what a penance. And the Blessed Virgin Mary told her, this happens to you because your body does not need food any longer. She did not sleep either, and yet was able to continue working in the kitchen and the infirmary. She also suffered from hypothermia, another mystical illness in which body temperature reaches a very high fever. And she had a fever of up to 52 degrees Celsius. That is 125.6 degrees Fahrenheit. That's, <laughs> that's beyond fatal. Sister Eleonora Peroni, who was appointed by the abbess of St. Santa Croce as some sort of secretary in the Montello case, wrote many letters to the abbess of Redicandoli describing what was happening to Sister Rita. In a letter sent July 21st, 1950, Sister Eleonora writes, Have I ever told you, Mother Abbess, about Padre Pio, that when it was his feast day, he ate an ice cream <laughs> prepared by our mother, the Abbess Gazzarini, in that cell, Sister Rita's cell. Imagine what condescension and ice cream he said. I eat gladly because you, Sister Rita, and I burn inside. We were both born close to the Vesuvius. So here we actually have someone else who was assigned to monitor and record and log everything going on with with uh, Sister Rita that I keep wanting to call her Saint Rita. She should be. Jeez, old Pete. Sister Rita um, actually witnessed Padre Pio on the, the anniversary of his passing, eating an ice cream with, with Sister Rita. The experiments they performed on her only worsened her poor health. In 1949, she was sent for a few days to a clinic in Florence to investigate her mystical illness. In another of the letters, Sister Eleonora writes, The other night, Padre Pio and the angel came to make her bed. 
giving a good lesson to our nurses who had forgotten to do this. This morning, the priest has brought her Holy Communion after four days of fasting, but actually she had received Holy Communion every morning from her angel or from Jesus himself. Two trips to Florence for checkups. Think, mother, what suffering. They had to inject liquid into both of her eyes, which made her suffer terribly and not be able to see for a day. This happened because our daughter does not sleep at all, and her eyes are exposed many hours to supernatural light, very different from natural light. This test was done by the doctors, who justified it by saying that her pupils were too dilated. So here we have this sister who's very obviously, you know, she's supposed to be very close to Sister Rita and monitoring everything that's going on. Of course, she's, she's taking great notes and, and, and writing reports about what's going on, and she's witnessing all of this. And you can clearly see by her words, she believes without a doubt everything that's going on and everything that's taking place. There are accounts that speak of the flights with the souls in purgatory and those in heaven. Once she was seen in Naples, Abbas asked her, how come? And she replied, I was taking bread to a child who had not eaten for two days because he was screaming. Oh, how he was screaming. Jesus took me there. She had the gift of prophecy and foreseeing some future events. She predicted the earthquake that took place in Ancona on June 13, 1972. Sister Paola Cassieri of the Institute of Daughters of the Immaculate Conception had a sister Giovanna living in Acana. Sister Rita told Giovanna to move from Acana to Bologna, specifying that she and her family should be out of Ancona no later than June 13th before the evening. That night, there was a great earthquake which damaged the building where Giovanna lived. Sister Rita also knew that her spiritual director, Father Teofila, was going to fall into a 12-meter deep ditch as the darkness's revenge for the new vocation that Father Teofila and Sister Rita had obtained for the monastery. The priest was walking down the street after visiting a convent. Sister Rita appeared in bilocation at the moment the priest fell into the ditch, injuring his head and his back. He did not die because Sister Rita rescued him. His glasses and the eggs he was carrying did not even get broken. Injured, he was accompanied home by Sister Rita, who was invisible. He felt someone holding him, and he also could smell the mystical perfume she emanated. The mother superior later asked Sister Rita if it was true that she had helped him, and she replied, See for yourself, my habit is full of mud. She also asked God to let her take some of the priest's suffering after the fall. She obtained her request and suffered for a while until the suffering suddenly disappeared. Like Padre Pio, her presence was often detected by the smell of violets. Sometimes Father Teofilo would ask her to open her hands in front of visitors so they so that the perfume of violets could get stronger and Sister Rita greatly ashamed obeyed. Well, bless her heart. She shouldn't be ashamed of that. I mean, but yeah, I guess because she was trying to keep it all secret and covered because of the ridicule 
and conditioning she experienced from those who hated her. Father D. Anastasio mentioned in his book, Sister Rita's bilocation to Rome on May 13, 1981, in order to help Pope John Paul II the day he was shot. Okay, folks, so this one's going to make you flip out. Now, this is why I was saying keep the bilocation in your, in your head and your heart. Because, uh, yeah, this has actually been as proven as it can possibly be proven. Um, a matter of fact, uh, investigators have been investigating this since, let me look at my paperwork here. They've been investigating this, uh, the shooting of uh, St. Pope John Paul II, who was Pope John Paul II. Uh, this is from, well, yeah, April 16th of 2021 was the last of the investigation that they did. So, you know, from 1981, May 13th, 1981, when Pope John Paul II was shot, um, up until April of 2021, just a few years ago, as of the recording of this episode, uh, this has been investigated thoroughly. I mean, extremely thoroughly. Uh, so let's read the article here, and I'll fill in any blanks that are left. It says, according to a report, Al Agka, that's the guy that uh, tried to assassinate the Pope, declared that at the moment of the shot, a nun had diverted its course. The Italian newspaper, Second Courier della Sera, on Mar May 8, 1991, published a follow-up article stating that the bullet's path had been diverted, otherwise the shot should have been lethal. Sister Rita revealed to Father D. Anastasio that she had been there together with the Virgin Mary. Okay, so let me fill in some blanks here. So Ali Agka was a an extremely skilled and trained assassin. Now, he was maybe... Okay, so I just tried to look it up and I couldn't... There's nothing saying how many feet, but it was probably, I would say, 12 feet or less. Um, and so for this assassin to have a high-powered uh, semi-automatic 9-millimeter handgun uh, at that close range should not have missed, couldn't have missed. Um, and as a matter of fact, the shots should have been lethal. So he fires four shots, uh, but only two of those shots hit the Pope, and they weren't lethal. So they were diverted, and the other two bullets were completely diverted. Now, Pope John Paul II always said that he's seen the Blessed Mother, Virgin Mary, the Theotokos. He saw her as this incident was happening and praised her for saving his life. Now, Ali Agka says that he saw a nun and that the nun deflected two of the bullets and misguided, I guess, the other two of the four shots. So they weren't lethal. And for years, they thought that it was a nun that was standing behind him that grabbed him. And they've asked this nun infinite times, and she kept saying, no, I, I didn't. It wasn't me. And now, after all these years of investigating, it is so close, as close as it can be, to proven that it was Sister Rita by locating and with 
the Theotokos, the Holy Mother, saving the Pope's life. It affected the Pope so much that on that very spot, if you go to uh, the Vatican in the courtyard, where the exact spot where the incident happened, there is a painting of the Holy Mother uh, on the ground marking that spot. Years before this, Sister Rita assisted Padre Pio in bilocation during his last agony on September 23, 1968. She said that at the moment of his passing, the Virgin Mary, St. Francis, and St. Clair were there also. She suffered watching the doctors try to resuscitate him and said they should have let him die in peace. It was known that Padre Pio continued visiting Sister Rita after his death. During the 70s, Father Di Anastasio met Father Pancrazio Poli, the ex-provincial of the Capuchins of Tuscany. He wanted Sister Rita to ask Padre Pio how come the stigmata had disappeared when he died. This is Sister Rita's written response dated October 9th, 1976. Dear Father Pancrazio, I have asked Grandpa Pio, <laughs> Grandpa Pio, why he did not have the stigmata when he died. He responded, who wants to know? I answered, Father Pancrazio. He smiled and added, tell the mystic, this is what both Padre Pio and Sister Rita called the, his priest is the mystic, that I myself asked Jesus for that grace. On July 21st, 1992, Sister Rita bilocated in order to help her 17-year-old nephew, Massimiliano Mariano, who was riding a moped and went through a red light, crashing into a car. The moped was completely totaled, but Massimiliano ended up with just a slight swelling on his face. He saw when his aunt took him in her arms and placed him gently on the ground. Luisa Falci sent a letter to Sister Rita to give to Jesus because she was convinced of the holiness of this nun. In the letter, she asked Jesus if Santa Croce Sol Arno would one day become a spiritual center like Assisi and San Giovanna Rotundi, excuse me, Rotundo. She got her reply on July 8th, 1974. Sister Rita told her behind the grill. The letter was read to Jesus, who was pleased and smiled. He affirmed that Santa Croce Sol Arno will become a second Assisi and a second San Giovanni Rotondo. Renata Ardorni has a beautiful testimonial of how she came to meet Sister Rita because of Padre Pio. Renata, a spiritual daughter and close friend of Padre Pio, used to take many pilgrimages, or excuse me, pilgrims to visit him and help financially with the construction of Padre Pio's hospital, Casa Salivia della Safarenza. Renata tells the story. It was 1954 when I had to go to Bologna to see Dr. Malfatti to receive treatments for facial malagia. The treatment lasted a few months. The doctor in charge, Giovanni Malfatti, was an admirer of Padre Pio. Talking to him, I found out that, like me, he was a spiritual child of Padre Pio. I confided to him that I often went to Padre Pio to ask his advice about the health of patients in Hospital of Parma. In the, this context, the doctor suggested I, a shortcut for me to contact Padre Pio. 
In order to fulfill his professional duties and avoid unnecessary traveling to San Giovanni Rotondo, he frequently went to a town in Pisa where he visited a charismatic Augustinian nun who was in contact with Padre Pio. This nun's name was Sister Rita Montello, or Montella, and according to him, every night Padre Pio used to visit her and by location. They would talk and pray, reciting the Holy Rosary. The doctor, therefore, encouraged me to present this to the nun, all the requests I had for the patients, so that I could get the response from Padre Pio during the following morning. He even offered to take me by car with his wife to meet this nun. However, since I was so attached to Padre Pio, I did not want to have recourse to this nun. After two months of Dr. Malfatti's constant insistence that I meet this nun, I had an incredible and unexpected experience. One night in my bedroom, I was half asleep when I felt a knock on the door. Assuming it was a family member, I invited them to enter. Then I saw that the door was already open and that a capuchin friar, which I recognized as Padre Pio, was there together with an unknown nun. They approached my bed. Padre Pio gave me a great smile with a nun, caressed my face. Padre Pio spoke to me first, saying, Renata, I am here to make you meet Sister Rita in person. I immediately replied, Oh, Padre Pio, thank you. Then Sister Rita, looking at me, tells me, Do you want to pray the rosary with our grandpa? <laughs> I love how they call him. If you go, you got, if you haven't never seen a picture of Padre Pio, you, number one, you need to have one with you all the time. I have a laminated one that I carry with me always, but he does have that classic grandpa look. I noticed that while she was saying this, she had a beautiful white rosary in her hands. I, however, responded that I was too sleepy to pray. At that moment, the nun looked at Padre Pio and said, Padre, Renata does not want to say the rosary. Padre Pio very sweetly explained to her, In fact, Sister Rita, good is not only done by staying for a long time on your knees. You should know that Renata has started a beautiful prayer group. With members from this group and other pious women, she goes daily to a hospital in Parma. At noon, they help the nurses feed the patients that have returned from Russian front who are inv invalid or mutilated because of frostbite and unable to feed themselves. I believe that this work is also a valid prayer. Sister Rita replied in turn, Padre, if it is okay with you, it is also fine with me. To conclude, Padre Pio said, then, Sister Rita, should we leave? Let's say goodbye to Renata. Padre Pio came close to me, gave me a few slaps on the cheek and a triple blessing. I kissed his hand. Sister Rita caressed my face as she had done when they came in. They both said, good rest, and left closing the door. When they disappeared, I had a vision of a great building that I had never seen before. I looked at the clock, and it was around 4 a.m. I should clarify that regarding the nun that came with Padre Pio, I was under the impression that it was Sister Rita, or excuse me, Saint Rita of Cassia, in order to confirm this early that morning, I went a few churches in the city to see a few paintings of the saint, but I did not get the confirmation I wanted. I couldn't find any paintings of St. Rita in the church of Parma. A few days later, I went back to see Dr. Malfatti who, for treatment, and I told him about my experience 
and St. Rita of Cassia. He immediately assured me, saying, It was not St. Rita of Cassia. It was the one who came with Padre Pio. The one Padre Pio brought to you was Sister Rita, the Augustinian nun from Santa Croce Arno, the one whom you had not wanted to meet. I recall now that I did not want to meet her out of respect to my dear Padre Pio. On that occasion, Dr. Malfatti gave me a presentation letter to take to the abbess in case I ever wanted to visit that nun. A few months later, I took the train to go visit the nun at Santa Cruz, Sol Arno. My first surprise upon entering the monastery was the shape of the building, which was exactly what I had seen in my vision. I handed the letter, presentation, to the abbess who welcomed me warmly. Then I had a private meeting with Sister Rita, which was amazing. Before we started to talk through the grill, it was she who called me by name told me, Renata, I know you. I remember that night that I came with Padre Pio. When you go to San Giovanni Rotondo, give him my regards. That was my confirmation. Now, what they mean, folks, by they've said this a couple times about the, the phrase through the grill. And what that means is uh, Sister Rita was in a cloister that cannot have physical um, contact with other people outside the monastery. They're cloistered. They're locked in, um, and they are to spend their lives in service and prayer um, in the monastery, in that cloistered setting. So when they do have visitors, it's um, those of you who are Roman Catholic that know the confessionals uh, where you've got the, you know, the grill or the screen between you and the priest when you're making your confession, it's quite similar to that, or I don't want to say like a prison where you're talking to somebody through the glass, but yet you are talking to someone through a an iron grill um, because they can't have that um, personal contact like that. But as we see, that, that didn't interfere with Sister Rita at all. She was just bilocating all, all over the place. Padre Pio had also something to say about this. About three weeks later, I went to see Padre Pio in San Giovanni Rotondo. Because of some urgent business, I took advantage of the occasion to ask him about that dream in which I had seen him and whom I thought had been Saint Rita. He answered very kindly, don't keep saying that you have seen me in a dream. I am not a magician <laughs> or a fortune teller or something of that sort. You should know that when I go and buy location, Lord allows me to take another person with me that might be necessary even for prayer. That is why it is just by the goodness of the Eternal Father that I go with Sister Rita to those in need of mercy and assistance. The next time I saw Padre Pio just after my confession, I tried to extend the greetings Sister Rita had sent to him. However, in a moment of amnesia, which I had never had before, I could not even remember the simple name Rita. I had forgotten her name and her place of residence. Noticing my embarrassment, Padre Pio said, Sister Rita Montello, Santa Croce Arno, in the province of Pisa. <laughs> in 1980, Sister was diagnosed with a benign brain tumor. Two years later, she fell down the stairs and broke her left arm. From then on, her health deteriorated. She had heart trouble, her legs were very weak, and she had various pains. 
She spent most of the 1980s enduring physical sufferings. She told her nephew, Arcangelo Arino, that she would not make it to her 50th jubilee of her profession, which would have been April 28, 1993. In September 1992, her health took a turn for the worse until the day of her passing, November 26th. At 1 p.m., the abbess found her prostrated and suffering and made her have some coffee, to which she had a terrible reaction. She vomited so violently that she fell to the floor. When the abbess returned, she found Sister Rita kneeling while holding on to her bed and with her gaze fixed on a painting of St. Michael. She passed away at 1.30 p.m. on November 26, 1992. She was originally buried in a cemetery in Florence, but on the 10th anniversary of her death, her remains were transferred to her monastery and placed behind the altar of the church. Her motto was, for Jesus, all we do is too little. So that, my dear brothers and sisters, is the show for, let's just call her Saint Rita, Saint Rita Montella. Okay, and uh, I did some looking um, on the interwebs and found that a show of cause has been filed with the Vatican uh, to start the process of investigating her uh, to become a saint now. Those of you who are Roman Catholics and those of you who are long-time listeners to the show or of the show know that this can be a very long process. I mean, I'm talking some people have not been canonized until literally hundreds of years after their passing uh, from this physical plane. So, you know, yeah, I know. I, I To me, this is a no-brainer that since this Everything with uh, St. Rita has been validated by a few mother superiors, um, also by her spiritual advisors, which unfortunately they're no longer living, and also by a fellow sister who was assigned as a secretary to um, pretty much be the shadow of St. Rita and notate everything that was going on, which, as we just learned in the show, she did a remarkable job. Uh, to me, you put all those things together, all of that evidence together, and it's hands down, you know, make her a saint. I mean, she already is, obviously. Look at all the things that she did and probably continues to do to this day. So, I don't know, but I will be sure to keep you all updated as we go along our journey in the show. And if I hear or see anything, I'll let you know. And if you hear or see anything, please let me know so I can let everyone else know. And you can do that by contacting me. My contact information is at the end of the show, which is coming up here soon at the end of every show. This week's prayer requests and updates are as follows. Nicholas who has had multiple heart transplants and has always gone through rejection, still going through rejection, is finally home. He had to get several blood transfusions, was in the hospital for a month, but he is now home. So let us please keep Nicholas in our heart, thoughts, and prayers of this young man uh, gets healthy and stays healthy. 
Uh, next is Haley, who has ovarian terminal ovarian cancer. Um, she was able to, uh, with the help of her husband, get the feeding port uh, connected to her. So she's able to at least get some nutrition um, kind of semi-intravenously. Um, but, you know, her health is deteriorating. She just did a an interview uh, with her local church, and um, they said that she's done interviews with them before. This is going to be, this is her final interview, and that they are going to be airing it soon. When it does air, I will be sure to let you all know uh, where you can catch it, and you can check it out. So please keep Haley, her husband Taylor, and her four-year-old son Weston in your heart, thoughts, and prayers. Next is Maudie, who recently had a heart transplant. Um, She's still in rejection, but she is doing great. She looks 100% better. She said that this past week she was able to dance for a half an hour straight and then went for a mile and a half walk with her husband. That's just amazing. She's still having issues and difficulties, um, you know, with upset stomach, nausea, and things of that nature, which she uh, said is common with transplants, but she's got some doctor's visits coming up this week. So let us please keep Maudie in our heart, thoughts, and prayers that she continues to recover and that she lives a very long and healthy life with her family. Uh, next, we have a new addition, and that is Joanne. Uh, Joanne is um, my stepmother. She was hospitalized for over a month with uh, close to having septic uh, shock. And she's now home, uh, but the recovery is very, very slow um, and painful. And if we could please uh, add Joanne to our heart, thoughts, and prayers, that would be greatly appreciated. Uh, general prayers and well-being for Stephanie, Sarah, Kia, Elaine, Clyde, Lana, Megan, Molly, Gwen, Octavia, Trish, Chad, and their family, Brother Ashley and his family, Brother Abel, Mike S. and Kelly. And I do have a Mike S. update. Uh, Mike S. is doing well. However, um, he recently went to the doctor and found out that he does have a cyst. It is benign, so it's non-cancerous, but it does require him to have to go into the hospital and have it removed. So um, he has to go for a consultation, I believe, next week. Um, and I will keep you all updated as I receive more information from Mike. Um, so, Les, yeah, I mean, we, he's been in our prayers. Let's please keep the prayers going that Mike gets healthy and stays healthy, um, body, mind, and soul. Um, next is my brother, Michael. Um, he is still recovering from shingles. He is back to work, but he said he is still in a lot of pain. My sister, Tanya, also Cheryl. Um, I do have an Elijah update. Uh, his grandmother, Janet, is doing better. Uh, she was hospitalized again, and they had to put her on a ventilator, and they will be removing the ventilator probably tomorrow. Um, so. Let us keep her in our heart, thoughts, and prayers that her recovery continues because she is a big part of Elijah's uh, life because she practically raised him. Um, no news yet on Elijah as far as jobs. He still hasn't um, been blessed with one yet, 
He's still actively looking, but he is uh, feeling much better that his grandmother is getting better. So his depression is a lot less. Let us also keep his husband, Andrew, in our hard thoughts and prayers. Also prayers for Father Mike and his husband, Eddie. Uh, both of which are looking for jobs. Uh, it's, they're having such a very hard time uh, with that. And also, you know, compounded with Father Mike's health issues. Please keep them in our heart, thoughts, and prayers. Next is Emma and Jean. Uh, also, Kathy, who we reported last week, who is battling through COVID, and her husband, Tony. Uh, Michael T., um, Kyra, who is Haven's uh, cousin, who may possibly have cancer. We still have not had any updates on that yet. And last but certainly not least is Bob, who is Elaine's husband. Uh, Bob is, or I should say has, uh, had to have some um, things removed off of his face, some moles and things of that nature from his dermatologist. Uh, they have been sent out to be analyzed to see if they're cancerous or not. Uh, remember, Bob is so far that we know his, his cancer is a lot less than it was. And let us please keep him in our heart, thoughts and prayers that um, he goes into complete remission and that these uh, biopsies come back negative for cancer or anything um, harmful. And for our closing prayer and blessing, I could think of nothing better than a prayer of intercession um, for Sister Rita of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. In nomine Divi, Filii, Spiritus Sancti. Our Lord, our God, you have called Sister Rita of the Holy Spirit to full realization of her baptismal consecration by dedicating herself completely to you in the contemplative Augustinian life in order to find God and help the church. You, O Father, have made shine forth through her with the charisms you have given her the face of Christ, making him visible among men and women of our time. With your help, she has taken on herself the troubles of her brothers by serving Christ, suffering in her body, and becoming, through humble prayer, a sign and witness to your love. Hear our prayer. Dean, to glorify her now on earth and through her intercession, grant us the grace that we ask with faith. Amen. I so hope and pray that you've enjoyed the show and that you found everything that you're searching for here and more with us. Please feel free to stop by anytime, all the time. You are family. If this show has helped you, please, please, please share it with as many people as possible. Also, subscribe, rate, and review the show on whatever format you listen to. That helps move the show up in those formats so when someone does a general search, they're more likely to find the show. And if the show has really helped you and you have the means, please consider making an offering. Offerings are a great way to help sustain and improve the show as well as the Faith and More ministry. Offerings can be made through the Cash App. The show's cash tag is dollar sign faith and more, or you can find us at cash.app forward slash dollar sign faith and more. 
And don't forget about our YouTube channel. It's a fun place, folks. You can watch videos of weekly Ask Angel questions where people write me and ask me questions and I respond uh, on YouTube. You can also watch me do bi-weekly sermons and homilies. Also, audio of our shows are uploaded to YouTube where you can listen and much, much more. Just go to youtube.com forward slash at faith and more podcast. Next is prayers. I love to pray and our faith and more family love to pray. So let us pray for you. There are two ways to do this. The first is to email me directly at faithandmorepodcast at gmail.com. The second way is through our website. There is a form at the bottom of the website, and the website address is faithandmorepodcast.wixsite.com forward slash my dash site. And there are always links to all of these things in the show notes for and description for each show. So until next time, have a blessed week and know that each and every one of you are in my heart and in my prayers. Bless you.